Amen. What a joy these past two Sundays, today and last Sunday, to be baptizing converts. Amen. That was just so beautiful, man. As a dad, that's got to touch your heart when you see a father baptizing his son. And, whew, and uh, we're glad to see you. Thank you for, for uh, showing up. And uh, we appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk today about li living positive in a negative world. I was planning other things, but this week has dictated otherwise. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul tells us, really, not complicated, how to live positive in a negative world. Now, I'll, I don't have to tell you this, but you know it's, this world's addicted to negative news. And uh, if there's not something negative happening, they'll make up something. <laughs> and uh, anyway, let, I better read this before I get started. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes and says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now, he doesn't say for everything, but in spite of what's going on, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if we do that, then, and the peace of God, not your peace or mine, but his peace, how many believes God has peace today? How many believes he is peace today? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, some people want the peace of God, but they won't give up their right or their perceived right to understand things. If you want the peace of God that surpasses understanding, you've got to give up your right to understand. Don't demand to understand everything. We don't understand many things. I don't have to understand things to have peace. I cannot understand a lot of things, but yet my peace is still gifted to me because it's the peace of God. And that peace will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brethren, Christians, saints, that's what he's talking to, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. He says if you will do those things, you'll have the peace of God. Isaiah said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed on me, on God. And so I just want to talk to you. It's always our heart at Grace Point Church to encourage you. I don't think you'll ever come here and leave because you got beat up or you got discouraged by the Word of God because God's Word is called good news. And some people say, well, why don't you talk more about this or that? Because it's not good news. I'm a minister of the gospel of grace, the good news. And uh, that's what God's charged us with. And so I want to just talk to you this morning you can be seated I remember and I, I did a blog just out of what I felt was just necessity and, and some people were asking well what does Pastor Dale think and this and that and and, and, and to some degree my you know I told some pa uh, pastor called me from North Georgia yesterday and I said man I'm gonna have to really temper myself tomorrow I'm gonna have to kind of because I felt myself just getting kind of ramped up the more and more that I saw through the media and throughout this week, and and uh, and so it's not my heart to chide anybody or to judge other people in in in, uh, in what they do. But you know, even even the most one of the most liberal popes that, that the Catholic Church has ever had uh, said not to close the churches. He said, if you abandon the people in a time like this then they'll abandon you. <laughs> uh, he said, don't put Christ in a quarantine. Don't quarantine Christ, he said. <laughs> That's the Pope talking. And just, you know, calling uh, on the churches to keep the doors open. And, you know, and I, I put out something yesterday, may, might, might not should have, I don't do that much of that stuff, but I said, you know, it's amazing to me. And I had just got back from Lowe's. I about couldn't get in there for the people. I just wanted to stop in there and get a couple of bags of fertilizer to fertilize my shrubs. It was a beautiful day yesterday. 
and so it is today. I just wanted to work outside my yards, you know, and do the Saturday honey-do list, you know, kind of deal. And, and uh, man, I couldn't even hardly get in there. People just thronging in there, pushing carts that God knows who's touched. And some of the same people that wanted me to close services are in there. I mean, and then this pastor called me yesterday evening. He, he, he texted me through Messenger. And he said, I don't have your number. Can I just call you? And uh, I said, sure. So I, I immediately sent him my number, and he immediately called. And he said, he said, Pastor Dale, he said, man, we, <laughs> he said, I, I've got people, uh, he said, I'm probably going to lose a worship leader over this deal, over this virus, because they're mad because I'm going to keep ha having church, you know, today. And uh, he said, I got one lady in my church told me she's going to sue me if she gets the coronavirus. I said, is she going to sue Walmart if she goes to Walmart and comes back with the virus? She going to sue Publix grocery store? It ain't keeping them out of there. And, you know, just people, you know, the, the real virus we got is not the coronavirus. It's the spirit of fear. That's the real virus. That's what's being transmitted from one person to another right there. And I've lived long enough now, and I don't know in my lifetime, I mean, you, you know, everybody's got different views, but I, I don't think I have seen it quite this bad with anything. And we've had far worse viruses and, and far more many people infected and far more deaths, and it didn't even make a blip on the media radar. But for some reason, this one has got to be just out of control. And I remember, old enough to remember in 2003 when the, uh, bird flu, they called it, came out. And I remember watching the BBC. Uh, they're the one that did the interview, but they transmitted it into American, you know, American news broadcasters broadcasted it as well. And I remember when that thing first was hitting, they were killing birds by the thousands over there of every species. And, uh, and they interviewed this. This was his field and his specialty the, in the U.K., and they asked him, would that virus, would it mutate, is it possible for it to mutate what's killing these birds and, you know, to, into humans? He said, it, it is not only possible, but it will happen. He said, it's not, it's not if, it's when. This was his exact words. And he said, within two years, one-third of the world's population will die from this virus. That's what he said. That was broadcasted, all splashed on every front page and news all over the world. And two years later, less than 24 people had died. And he was the expert. See, we, that's, that's the world that we live in that's addicted to those type things. I remember, you know, when Y2K, that was supposed to just be catastrophic. And, and, um, and it was, it, I had the same sense now as, as I did then when I was pastoring at Cornerstone. You know, I had church. I just said, if I'm, I'm going to have church tonight. And so on December the 31st, 1999, we was in the house of God, the half of us that came. The other half was hugging guns and holding on to cans of pork and beans. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, I pastored people through this, and a lot of people in my church bought generators and were actually mad at God when they didn't need them. I know of one brother spent seven grand. I know of people that put generator systems in the ground with tanks buried to run them, diesel gen. That's fine if that's your deal. But if you do it out of fear. And, 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 and I remember I, a lot of, several of my people strained themselves economically and financially for fear of that. You know, I, I know one, one person, they, I mean, they, had, they just had stacks of canned goods in the garage. And I said to him, I said, okay, let's just say it's, you know, you know what you fear is going to happen. And if people know you got stacks of canned goods, you think your garage door is going to keep them out? I said, if, if I needed groceries and I know you got them, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I mean, your garage ain't strong enough. I, I was just trying to say, really, it's, it's just a fear-based type thing. And, and that whole thing, I remember, you know, now, you know, I, I mean, I didn't know, really. I wasn't smart enough to know if at midnight the lights would go out. But I knew I, where I was going to be when they went out. 
you know? And, 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 and it's, it's, I sense this same thing. And that whole Y2K thing, that was just a non-event. And, man, the generators went on sale right after that. They couldn't give them away. And I'm not making fun. And listen, I know right now people say, well, that's just, it's just wisdom. No, it ain't. You call it wisdom, but it's the wisdom of this world, which is sensual, which is, goes by the senses, what it sees, smell, taste, touch, and hear. That, that's, not, that's not the wisdom that comes from above that's pure and teachable. And so you call it, well, it's just wisdom. You know, it's just wisdom. I've heard that a lot. So it's just, it's, you know, it's just wisdom, brother. They'll take precaution. You know, I, I, understand, I understand that, but don't call the spirit of fear wisdom. Because what's happening to this nation and people and cleaning off shelves and, and doing all that stuff, it shows you that people are just selfish. They don't care if you have necessities, what you need, as long as they and their family got it. I watched during some of these last few hurricanes and all, we, we, we had people that I know that, that I, and I love these people, but I mean, I remember seeing a picture of an old couple, you know, older couple, and, and, I, and, and they had a buggy just stacked full of drinking water and posted it on Facebook like they had won the lottery. They was pushing that buggy. I mean, they can't drink that much water in a year, but they took it away from people because of fear of lack. And really, it's a fear that God's not going to do what he says. I mean, to me, more than anything else, you know, in my, and, and it's time for the church to be the church, especially in times like this. We're, we're supposed to have an answer. We're supposed to have a, a, a voice of at least calm and peace and confidence in God. We're, we're not supposed to react to the same fear that they're, that they're reacting to. We respond to things, but we don't react. And we, we have a different base, a different foundation. It's like when a Christian when, and somebody in their family, when they die, the Bible, Paul said, we sorrow, just like they sorrow. We sorrow. But we don't sorrow as people ain't got no hope. Because we have hope on the inside of us. Jesus is the blessed hope. How can we not be the most hopeful people on the planet? I, I, you know, our God is hope. People say, well, I don't want to get people's hopes up. Hope is what keeps this world from imploding and killing each other. And so we, we, we need hope. I remember uh, we just don't understand the power of words. And, and, and um, the Bible says that. It's, you know that. It's life and death is in the power of the tongue. And what we say and what we pray and what we believe is, is so important. And today's, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having to address this because it's just such a big deal to people. Um, but we, I, I just don't think we understand, or I, I just pray that we're, I mean, we're, the Bible says we are a prophetic people, right? We're, we're a company of prophetic people. We're priests before God. We're kings uh, and priests, the Bible says. That's, that's New Testament style. And so we're supposed, to, we're supposed to have an answer. We're supposed to have something to say to people. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, we, we don't, and, and this, is, this is what I believe the Bible shows very clearly and a lot of people don't understand the spirit realm but nothing happens listen to me nothing happens in this world unless it's prayed or prophesied by a man Jesus Christ could not have been born into the earth unless he had been prayed and prophesied here we don't understand that there is a way made that's the way God designed it but what we don't understand is we may say, well, I understand that about the church and the, you know, and God, but we don't understand that the enemy is called the prince and the power of the air. And he uses the media to speak words through people of what he wants to accomplish in this world. And I want to tell you, his, his greatest list of prophets is the media. And they're prophesying doom and gloom and all these things. And, and, and of course, always when anything of any degree happens, you got some of the the, the, you know, preachers and the church, well, this is God's judgment. This is God angry. This is God trying to get people's attention. This, that, that's, not, that's not only stupid, non-biblical, but it's blasphemous to attribute any disease to God. He's the healer. He's not the giver of disease. And anything you ever think you know about God that you can't prove in the life of Jesus, you've got to question it. How many storms did Jesus ever bless when he walked the earth? That many. How many people did he ever leave sick after they asked him to heal them? That many. How many people do he say, it's not, you know, God gave this to you trying to teach you something? None of that stuff. All that mess you hear in church, all that stuff's wrong. That's why I wrote that book, Exposing Misheard in Church. That's where we've heard them. 
God, God doesn't bring disease. He doesn't give disease. God can't give you cancer because he don't have it. He can't give you what he don't have. And I remember reading in, in Numbers chapter 16, there was a plague there hitting the people. And the priesthood, what they did, the Bible, Aaron took it as Moses commanded, and, he, and, he, and, he, and it says he ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun, but he put the incense and he made atonement for the people. And listen, I love this in verse 48. And he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. And he said, well, that's for the priests. We're all kings and priests. I already told you that. That's what we're, we're just standing between that and the people. And, we're, and, and what we have different than that, that's under the law and all that deal. But we, we have Christ living in us. Even Moses wouldn't, didn't have Christ living in him. He had Christ with him and for him, but not in him. That's why Jesus said, it's your advantage I go away. Because Christ now abides in us. It's, it's a great mystery. And I don't know if some of you have, have heard of this guy uh, I'd studied his life, you know, intently years ago. John G. Lake. Anybody ever heard of John G. Lake? Uh, he, he died in, in 1935, but in just a great uh, missionary. I think he was born, actually born in Canada, but he, he went to South Africa, and he was right in South Africa at the turn of the 20th century, around 1909, when the uh, bubonic plague hit, and people were dying by the thousands. And John G. Lake was there ministering to those people. And, and, of course, what, what is, and, and any of you can Google this this afternoon, not while I'm preaching, but you just, I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And the, you ever heard of the churches that have healing rooms and stuff? I mean, that's where all that was birthed, out of his ministry. And, uh, the, you know, but people were just dying everywhere. And yet he was ministering right in the midst of it, and he never contracted that disease. Uh, and, uh, in fact, this, I, I just went this morning. I, I, this is what he said. This is his words. He said, I was ministering one time where the bubonic plague was raging. He said, you could not hire people for $1,000 to bury the dead. At such times, the government has to take hold of the situation, but I never took the disease. In other words, he never caught it. He says, now watch the action of the law of life. See, Romans 8 and 2 is what really changed John G. Lake's view of everything because he said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. He said, there's something different on the inside of me. He said, there's something different that emanates from me and through me. And it's called the law of the life of Jesus Christ. And so he, he said, I'm not susceptible. I'm not subject to that disease. Now, that's faith talking. Now, he says, now watch the action of the law of life. Faith belongs to the law of life. Faith is the very opposite of fear. Faith has the opposite effects in spirit, soul, and body. Faith causes the spirit of a man to become confident. It causes the mind of a, of a man to become restful and positive. A positive mind repels disease. This is his words now. Consequently, the emanation of the spirit destroys disease germs. And because we are in contact with the spirit of life and a little Dutch fellow with me, we went out and buried many of the people who had died from the plague, bubonic plague. We never took the plague. Now, the army sent in ships to South Africa, were doctor, and doctors came in to that area trying to help. They met John G. Lake, and they said to him, and you can see all this if you, if you take the time this afternoon to, to search it out, but they, they said to him, how is it, what precautions are you taking that you're not getting the, the plague? They said, what are you doing? We want to know what you're doing. He said, I'm not doing any precautions. He said, it's the Spirit of God in me that repels the plague. And, of course, they said, no, you know, it got to be something else. He said, well, here lies a dead person. This is what he said. He says, take the foam that's coming out of their mouth that came up from their lungs. He said, if you put it under a microscope, you'll see it's filled with active germs long after the person is dead. And so they, they did that, and of course they could see the germs active and moving. He said, now put that in the palm of my hand. And then I'll put my hand under the microscope, and every germ will be dead. And they did that, and he put his hand under there, and there was not one living germ in John G. Lake's hand. Now, you, you either believe that or you don't, you know. But if you don't, I wouldn't advise you going into a plague place. 
Because he said faith repels that, fear attracts that. Fear, fear has an attraction. Listen, you have no authority over what you're afraid of. The Bible says, remember the children of Israel, Goliath coming out there every day and just spouting out death to them, and they were all cowered down. It says in 1 Samuel 17 and 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, this Goliath, they fled from him, listen, and were dreadfully afraid. <clears throat> you have no authority over what you're afraid of. You have no authority over it. Now here comes David, and David hears the same speech that Goliath has given them for 40, the past 40 days. But David wasn't afraid of him. And you can't help but read them. When you read the story, man, David tells him just straight up. He says, man, and that guy says, you're a dog and I'll feed your flesh. David said, no, I'm going to feed your flesh. <laughs> David's, man, David like talking. See, church thinks that's arrogant. No, that's faith. Humility is not, well, you know, I'm just a worm. That's not humility. That's unbelief. Big difference. David said, no, I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air. I'm going to take your head off of you, and the birds will eat your carcass. The Bible said that the, the Goliath began to move towards David, and the Bible said David ran toward Goliath. <laughs> he ain't running from him. He ain't spraying Lysol at him. He running to him. Because David said, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of, the, of God. He said, and you and all of Israel is going to know that God don't win battles with sword and spears, but by the power of the Spirit. This is what wins the battles. And, and, and we know how that, that happened. But we don't have any authority. If you're fearful, then you better stay away from it. Job said, that thing that I have feared has come upon me. It always will. If you're, because fear attracts the negative. You got, you got to understand it. And, and this is not some mind over matter kind of little speech today. It's just, you, listen, thinking positively does not come automatically to us. We are raised in a negative environment from the time we're born. And, and, and so it's, it's, not, it's not the first default that we go to is positive. It's negative. And, and, and so it, it, the Lord doesn't automatically do these things for you. But, you, but he does flow through you, and you have to make a conscious decision. I loved every song, Demisha, you guys did today. It just couldn't have been more perfect for what's going on. And, you know, Ephesians uh, 3.20 says, yeah, God does. He, he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and, or even think of him. But we forget to quote the last part of that. According to the power that's at work in us. And, and God's power flows through us, but we can hinder it by our unbelief, our our, our lack of faith, it, it, it stops that from, from being displayed in a way that would bring glory and honor and praise to God. Man, in times of darkness like this, this is the time to shine. It's the time to, I remember when the planes flew into the towers, man, it was on a Tuesday. Our church was packed that night. Now, people came out of the woodworks, but they didn't stay. They didn't stay as soon as they, you know, kind of got, well, you know, so the fear kind of subsided, then it went right back to living like it was living. And it was a tragic time, and I'm not diminishing or marginalizing the, the, the deaths of anybody from any disease. And, but, you know, one of the doctors here in town, he, he lives in our <coughs> neighborhood, uh, Dr. Jared Bailey, he put a wonderful thing on Facebook, and I put it in the blog that I did the other day, just calling for some common sense in this. He said it doesn't, and it, it, this does not deserve the hysteria that it's getting. At that time he published it, I think he's put it out, and I read it Wednesday, but he said there'd been 37 deaths in our country to this virus. 22 of them were in one nursing home. That leaves you 15 people. And I'm not saying 15 people don't count, but it's not deserved. We've had far worse viruses and flus, and the regular flu kills more people than this is every year. And people that are older and their immune system and all that are susceptible to things, this is what's, I mean, but this is nothing new. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I mean, the loss of one life is tragic. It breaks a heart. That's somebody's loved one. That's family. Well, you know, our heart goes out to it. But, we, but what's worse than that is the panic that ensues and the fear. 
This week I've gotten emails from, and you probably have too, but there's you know places, especially places that you have been before, but a place that we go to the beach, been going there since I was a little kid. They've sent out several emails, probably three I know of, and says, we're still here. We're open. And they even showed live pictures of the beach, and they ain't hardly nobody on it. I'm planning me a trip now. I'm fitting to go. Y'all don't got my gas down low? Y'all putting reduced rates on my room? I'm finna go to the beach. <laughs> Thank you for the discount. Hallelujah. But that's what fear does. And, and it's sad because that fear, it does economically wreck so many people. There's a few people, I guess the toilet, people, toilet paper people are getting rich, you know. I guess they're making money, but. But there are people that are suffering. And there's people that's living right now under depression and anxiety and fear and dread and worry, wondering if they're going to have a job, if they're going to have a check, if they, what, what, what if this happens, what if that happens. And that's just a sad way to live. I guess I've lived long enough now that I know God's going to always be gone. You know, somebody texted me and said, well, they said, well, we're going to have a service. I said, I said yes, as long as Psalm 91 is still true, we're going to have church. I mean, we're going to have church. It never entered my brain. Not to have, what the governor said. Well, if the governor tells you to quit having church every Sunday, you going to quit? Listen, there will never be a local, state, or federal government tell me when I can assemble the saints. Maybe this was a test run for them, but it didn't work for us. We shall assemble. I got a command, fail not to assemble ourselves together. I mean, and you say, well, that's just, you know, no, it's just faith in God. God's going to be the same God. There ain't no telling what we come in contact with every day. Wash your hands. Use some gel, whatever. Glory to God. Hallelujah. People ask me, well, we fist bumping? No, I'm hugging necks and shaking hands. That looks like I always have done. Now, if you don't want to, that's your deal. That's fine. Just give me, the, just give me that, and I'll know not to. But, but I'm not going to let fear dominate rule my life. Life's too precious, too short to go through that kind of deal. And so our, our posture should be, let's see, I mean, I could just feel it with you guys this morning, and I'm bragging on you, but, man, I could, just, I could just feel not only the praise team, but I could feel you behind us saying, by God, we come to worship. <laughs> I was like, I'm finna get my praise on. I ain't finna, you know. That's the heart, and that's what the world needs to see. They, just see, they need to see a confidence in God that we understand we're not stupid, we're educated people. We can read. We understand that there's a real deal. We understand you can look at it under a microscope. We understand that. But there's a lot of stuff out there. I remember when I was the chief of the emergency medical service in Tifton, I was paramedic for 20 years and the, and the chief for 12 years. And it wasn't long after I got promoted to chief in 1985 that, that we, we had this disease we had never heard of before called AIDS. And, man, when that hit, and they said it's 100% fatal and this and that. And, and I remember I had a guy that was a shift captain. And I, it was our first AIDS patient. And we were told to transport him from Tifton, Georgia to Atlanta. And, uh, and one, of my, one of the men came out and came off and said, Chief, uh, you know, so-and-so says he ain't transporting them. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, he ain't transporting no AIDS patient. So, I, you know, now he's testing, you know, testing the whole system, my thought in there. So I go out there, and you try to be, you try to, you know, have a heart to be sympathetic to the fear. And I say, listen now, I said, uh, you, you're going to transport them. <laughs> you know, so I said, this, this, you know, this is the ambulance service. This is the, we don't pick and choose what we run. We take it as it comes. So I said, oh, and, and besides that, I said, your leadership. Your leadership, your your shift supervisor. So you, yeah, you're gonna transport him, or you're gonna get in your truck and transport yourself to the house, and you won't be coming back. So you'll have to decide which one of them transports you want to take. And he was holding a clipboard for checking the truck, and he just throwed it across the. I remember he throwed it across the asphalt. I'm throw it if you want to, but he threw it and got in that ambulance. <laughs> Because he knew I wouldn't play it. I might have been 26 year old, but I still had the bars on my collar. 
and he got in the truck. Now, I remember when that first happened, they used to dress us up like we were going to outer space. Those of you in the medical family remember. I mean, I, when I started being a paramedic, we didn't wear gloves. We had blood on our hands and everything else. We never wore gloves. We didn't wear no gloves. I started in 1978. We didn't wear no gloves. In fact, it was almost like a, you know, man, look, I've been working. I got blood all over me, man. I saved life. You know, but then for long, you can't even get in the truck without putting a glove on. We had them, you know, I bought them by the cases and cases. We had them everywhere. And, 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 and that was proper to do that. And you do some things because you don't know. And you, but the fear of that just gripped people. It gripped people in the medical community. And, and, and people got out of the community. Because, but, but people's reaction and response to things is just exaggerated. And, 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 and the hysteria that comes from it. And it's those type things that causes more harm than the actual event. Is people get a weather report, something coming, and they run to the store to just wipe the shelves off of bare of basic necessities, and they don't even think about their fellow man. And, and if you was buying all that to give it to people that didn't couldn't have it, that'd be a whole different deal. But ain't you lived long enough to know that God's gone? And see, that's what David told Saul when he when they found when when it was reported to Saul that David's going to face Goliath. He said, "Bring him to me." And he said, now he looked at him and said, how do you think you're going to whip Goliath? He said, because I done whipped a bear. <laughs> I done whipped a lion with my bare hands. He said, and this right here, Phil Philistine, won't be no different than them. Because the same God that helped me whip them is going to help me whip him. And, and, and what you have to do, see, that's why at one time David was, had been pursued by Saul for 13 years. He, he was living in the wilderness. Him and his men had went off to battle from, and left their wives and all their possessions in a place called Ziglag. And they went away and they fought and they come back and the enemy had, an enemy had come in there and taken every one of their possessions and all their family, their wives and kids, and they burned Ziglag to the ground. And when David and his men saw it, it says the men began to wail and weep before God for the loss. And, 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 it, and, it, and it said that they spoke of killing David. First thing they want to do is kill the leader. <laughs> oh, so, here, so David, and I love this passage. David wept too. His wife was taken too. His possessions was taken also. But this is what he said. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do it? He did it with the word of God. He did it like he did before he went out to face Goliath. Hadn't God ever answered a prayer? Hadn't God showed himself to be God in your life? Hadn't God, I mean, he's the same God and he's going to do the same. You think this is the first disease he ever brought you through? No, he's brought us through many. And most of them, you didn't even know you can come in contact with them. I'm not trying to scare you with stuff, man. They say your body produces a cancer cell every day, but your body kills it too. I mean, God, does, God knows, I mean, God's with us, church. He's for us. And so when we go out of here, when we speak to people, our family, our church folk, and I'm not, you know, mad at the people that didn't come. I mean, I'm going to love them. They're probably home on Facebook watching. Hallelujah. And I, I love you. Sitting there with your toilet paper and Lysol huddled. <laughs> I'm teasing. No, I do. I love you. And I think it's part of my responsibility as a leader to lead during times like this. To, to stand and say, God's still God. Psalm 91, no plague shall come nigh my dwelling. For I love the Lord. He, he has given his angels charge over me to protect me, to watch over me. Now, if it worked for John G. Lake, why can't it work for Jerry Dale Young? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, if it... it, it and, and he didn't go, you know, he, he didn't have no big encounter. He said, John G. Lake said he read that one verse that I read you. For the law of the life that's in Christ, Jesus, that has delivered me from the law of sin and death. He said that one verse, he just read that verse one day and decided to believe it. And he said, he said that he, he knew that he would walk into that plague area. He said sometimes he would bury four bodies in one grave. That's how many people were dying. Because they couldn't dig all the, gra the graves. 
And he said he called him the little Dutchman that was with him. He said John G. Lake showed him that verse, and and, he, and John G. Lake said, "Do you believe it?" He said, "You better believe it before we go in here." He said, "Yes, sir, I believe it." He said, "Let's go then, and we'll bury their dead, and we'll preach Jesus to them." And he healed thousands through the name of Jesus. He he did so many miracles by the power of God. He, and he said, not because he got gifted or had an encounter with an angel. No, he just said he believed that one verse. He believed that something emanated and flowed through him and out of him that was the Christ in him that was the hope of glory. The power of God was on the inside of him and it repelled those things. And he had faith in, in the word of God. And, and, and he was able to be used of God and see, that's, that's what stood out. Nobody was amazed at the bubonic plague because it had hit many other places in Europe and stuff. But what amazed them that there was a man, there was a man to be able to be in the midst of it for years and never one time contracted the disease. And they checked him and, done, and they, it wasn't nothing. He was just a regular guy like the rest of them. But he had faith in God. And he had faith in the word of God and that God was the one that was able to keep him. And, 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 and because of the real, you know, God's power is still real. And, and, you know, last Sunday after, you know, I think it was last Sunday afternoon, my, one day last week, I'm always got your grandbaby stories now, but we, one, my little grandson, he, um, he, he, he's seven, and he told me, he said, he said Poppy, I want to write a book. I want to be a, I want to illustrate it with, you know, cards. I want to actually write me a, I want to I author a book. Because he, he'd been talking to me about me writing my book, you know, and that was several years ago, but somehow it just kind of got on him. And uh, so we went over to Books of Millions, and, and there was a little thing, and, it, and it, you know, you can actually buy this hard, he, he wanted a hard cover. He didn't want a notebook, he, but, he, you know, so they make such as that. So we, we found it, and it's like write your story. And so I bought it for him, and, and so he went to work at it. And he draws and does stuff all the time. But, you know, but you know, and I told him, I said, it took, it took me now a year or so to write my book. And he couldn't figure out why it took so long. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, he's going to go in there and knock it out on Sunday afternoon, you know what I'm saying? It just ain't going to happen. And, of course, his school had just come through celebrating Dr. Seuss, you know, like, you know the week before, and that, that got him all stirred up. So he worked on it a few days and, and got started. And then he come outside one day. And I was sitting outside and watching his little sister ride her bike. And he said, uh, I don't think I'm going to write no book, Poppy. He said, too much work, too much. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I think I didn't I tell him to go in and tell you to hand him. I said, go in and go in there and see Mimi. You tell, because I didn't want to leave little sister out there. I said, go tell your Mimi to send me the full nine out of here, out the house. So he, she, Poppy wants to fold nine, so he comes back out with it. He's holding that ball. And I said, sit down here. I said, you see what this bottle says? He said, 409. I said, it does. I said, you know why it says that? Because that's how many times it took them to get that formula right. Two scientists in Detroit would not give up until they come up with the baddest, grease-cuttingest formula cleanser it's not 409 necessarily, it's 409 times until they were satisfied with that formula. And the name stuck, and that's a true story. And I said, now, son, what if they quit at 400? Or what if they quit at 100? So I said, what this tells you is you just keep doing it until you do it. And there ain't a number that you quit at. See, what time I got left on this earth, I'm going to teach them grandbabies something. Because I got more time to teach them than I did mine when they were growing up. I was working three jobs in. But I said, listen here, you don't quit, son. I said, didn't you tell me y'all just got through with all your Dr. Seuss stuff at your school and you, and you wore Dr. Seuss hat to school and all that? Yeah, yeah puppy. I, he, he said, our teacher said everybody says his name wrong. It's Dr. Soyce, and which is true. That is true. But Seuss is unstuck, so we're going to hang with that. <clears throat> but I said, y'all just went through that, right? He said, yeah. I said, you like his books? Because he's got several of them, Green Eggs and Ham, all that stuff, you know. And, uh, and they've been, most of them have been made into movies, you know. And I said, you love all that stuff, right? He said, yeah. I said, you know how many times he got turned down? 
27 times. I said he went to 27 different publishers with his first book. And every one of them said that was the dumbest mess they had ever saw. And they would never publish it. When he, put, when he went the 27th time and was turned down, he had the manuscript in his hand. He was, this is true. He was walking down the street, and he said in his heart that I'm going home to burn this. I'm going to burn it when I get to the house. And on his way home, he met a young man that he knew, and they spoke, and he said, what's, and the young man asked Dr. Seuss, said, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a book I'm on the way to burn. He said, why do you want to burn it? He said, because it's been turned down by every publisher that I know, 27th time I just got turned down. He said, well, I just got hired this week at a publishing house. He said, let me read it. They went direct then to that publishing house. That publishing house signed him on, and his books have sold millions all over the world and made him a millionaire. Because God's always got the right person at the right place at the right time. If you'll have a heart to stay positive, don't get caught up in the negative and do what God's gifted and called you to do. He didn't tell you how many times you'd have to do it. You ever heard of a little show called MASH? 44 times was it that movie turned down. And finally somebody took it. And then from the movie made a TV show that was aired longer than most sitcom, whatever shows that you that they've ever put out. And the list goes on and on and on. You know how many times Lucille Ball was told that she would never, with the disease she had, she had polio when she was that she would never be able to be in any kind of entertainment industry. And her mama hauled her to place after place after place. She got turned down so many times, but she didn't quit. And now everybody in the world knows her name today. There's got to be something in us. It comes against that negative spirit in this world to stay positive, to think positive. Now, you, in the morning, you can go, a lot of people, you can go, well, praise God this morning. Or you can go, good God this morning. And that's going to depend on how you start your day. And this is really, guys, it really is more of a decision and a choice you make. This is, the, this, this is the day the Lord has made. I will. Actually, I will rejoice, and I'll be glad. Now, you can be glad or you can be mad. That's up to you. But it's going to be a better day if you'll be glad. It's going to be a better Because you can't control the nuts on the road that'll cut you off and wave at you with one foot. You can't control them. You can't control the traffic. You can't control the weather. You can't control whether there's a virus or not. You can't control all that stuff, but you can, we can respond differently than the world reacts to it. And you can be a pillar in the house of the Lord. And you can be a stable force in your community and in your family and where you work. And, and, and they can see something different on the inside of you because they watch how you're navigating it. But if you speak out the same fear and dread and terror that they are, they don't see any difference that Christ has made any difference in how you view the world and its problems. And that's the thing that we get a chance to do now, you know, shine. Put the light out and shine for God and, 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 and speak positive and, and knowing that it don't matter. You know, I mean, and I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, not a, I'm not sitting here saying I'm a prophet and I know this and that. And what, I, I don't know all that kind of stuff. But it, what's, what they're doing now is unprecedented, in, in at least in my lifetime. Man, when they shut down Mickey Mouse, brother, they're they getting serious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're getting serious with it, you know. But I notice they ain't shut down no casinos nowhere. Yeah, they, there's a lot of things that they ain't even thinking about shutting down, you know. But all of a sudden now we got targeted worship places. Y'all shut down. Well, shut down Publix then. Shut down Walmart. Go on, shut. They're a lot more dangerous there. Shut that down. No, you ain't going to put out no order to shut that down. And then you're going to tell me not to assemble Man, what you talking? We're going to be here every Sunday. Glory to God. Getting our praise on. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Come back next Sunday and I'll actually preach. <laughs> Man, we love you guys. Man, what a great blessing to see Noah baptized today and, and uh, see his mom and dad sing and Whew, man, I love that. I love, uh, I love what you said over your son, brother. Uh, 
Those words mean so much to me personally. You know, you are my son. I love you. And Jesus said that when his son had never preached a sermon, had never healed a sick person, and at that time was a blue-collar worker. He hadn't. Jesus had no power at that time to heal the sick, raise the dead, do anything, because he had not been endued with power on how, like Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because Jesus didn't come as God, he came as man. He was God, but he came as man. And so when his daddy died between 12 and 30 years of age, Joseph, Jesus couldn't do nothing about it. All he could do was bury him like everybody does. He became not the son of the carpenter, but he became the carpenter in Scripture. He was the eldest of all his brothers and sisters. and He took over the family business. He's a blue-collar worker, provided for him. But on that day, when he turned 30, God called him by the Spirit. And God put a man that would recognize what God was up to. He was actually his first cousin. And he pointed at him and he said, Behold, look, that's the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus went in there and when he looked in the eyes of John, John looked in his eyes, John saw something, man, that was like he'd never seen before. He said, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, Go ahead and allow it to be so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Baptize me, brother. And he baptized him, and when he did, the heavens parted, it says. It actually says in the Greek that they ripped apart. Now, the Isaiah prophet had prophesied and cried out and said, Oh, God, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. Well, I want to tell you that he did. He ripped the heavens apart, and God came down. And on that day, God spoke audibly from heaven. Some said it was nothing but thunder. But God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So in other words, God's pleased with you just because you're his kid. He's pleased with you. And from that position of being the beloved of God, then Jesus was able to resist what the devil threw against him in the wilderness. And I told you I've always wondered why Satan did not quote God properly. Satan every time hit Jesus with these words, if you are the son of God. Well, God just said he was. But God didn't say you're just my son. He said you are my beloved son. But Satan left that word out. Satan did not say to Jesus, if you are the beloved son of God. Why? Because with intentionality, he left it out. He was questioning his sonship, but more than that, he was trying to get him to forget that God loved him. And sometimes you might find yourself in a wilderness experience and circumstances are not pretty. And Satan will come and say, well, I thought you was God's son. Look at you out here in the wilderness. Look at you. You don't have enough. Look at here. Your light bills do. Look at here. You need. Where's God at? God's the same place he's always been, right in here. He said, if you're the son of God. No, he should have said, if you are the beloved son. Because when you know that you're loved by God regardless of what you do and not based on your performance or behavior, that while you was a sinner, he loved you. Then from that position, then you are able to resist the enemy. You're able to, to be able to have power to say no to Satan. Because that power to know I'm a love son. And God loves me cause, not because I'm doing church stuff or I'm in the ministry or I'm a preacher. He loves me because I'm his kid. I remember one time I, got, I was caught up in so much stuff and I was just praying fervently every day for God's favor. I felt like God one day just said, stop it, knock it off. He said, has any one of your kids ever came and prayed to you for your favor? Ever? No. They know that they have my favor. When did they get it? By birth. By birth. All my kids, when they were little, they thought I was El Shaddad. The dad of more than enough. They didn't mind tugging on me and saying, Daddy, I want this. Or I want that. Or, I never saw one of my kids walking through the house praying in tongues, wringing their hands, going, I don't know what we're going to have. if we." I mean, grocery looking slim in here now. I mean, I didn't ever see any of that. Because they knew when the need was there, the food would be there. They knew that the, the supply would be there. That's why Jesus said, be like a little child. Unless you're like a little child, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about, go to hell? No, he's talking about you won't enter into it. You won't be able to enjoy the benefits of this kingdom. Because you're trying to provide, but he's the provider. You're trying to save yourself, but he's the savior. He's the, he, 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 but he's through us. 
come on now. That's, that, you you, you, you got to respond differently to this thing. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what they're going to say. Now, to me, I could just can't. I, and long before this, I've told you, and I'm not saying do what I do necessarily, but I don't hardly watch any news ever. Facebook tells me more than I want to know. And stuff like, I, I just don't watch it because it's too negative. It's not uplifting. It's not pure. It's not true. It's not a good report. I, I just can't focus on that. I, and like I put in the blog, if it's something really big that you need to know about, you'll know about it. I promise you. Well, I want to stay informed. <laughs> We're too informed. But we need to focus on the Word of God and just have peace and speak comfort and peace to one another to our kids and our little kids, you know, and I've even talked to my grandbabies yesterday. They, I mean, you know, they, they're hearing a lot of fear and stuff at the school, you know. And of course, they know the school's out. Two weeks now down here, at least. You know, they, you got to explain to them why they're out of school. I know now when, when I, I picked him up, I picked one of them up, I picked uh, Aiden up Friday, and I brought one I got home, didn't he, he, he was just jumping up down like a little jumping bean. I said, I need to video this, put this on Facebook. He's praising God for the coronavirus. You know what I'm saying? I'm, <laughs> he told me, Poppy, I'm out for two weeks. <laughs> He wants to know where we're going, what we're going to do, vacation time, yay. You know? I mean, he don't know, he's seven. You know what I'm saying? All he knows, he's out of school for two weeks. <laughs> he's like, praise God. <laughs> but I thought about just that little heart of a child. You know, really, he ain't scared to death about it, you know. So I pray you're encouraged today. And just, just make up your mind before you hear it, what you're going to say, how you're going to respond. And let us be people that we say we are, people of faith. And let's be positive. And let's, let's speak positive. And let's speak out of our mouth and not be fearful of that Goliath, that giant, whatever it is. And just speak the word of God. And know that you can walk with safety, that there's, God's power is emanating out of you. Focus on him. Amen. I love you today. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Amen.